Happy Sabbath. Good morning. Um, today's offering is going towards the Adra Disaster and Famine Relief. Now, um, I'm sure you're all aware about uh, the flooding and um, you know the loss of homes and etc. that are happening in Queensland. Um, and so, Adra is the Adventist Disaster Relief Agency, and they're very actively helping people right right now um, up there in. Um, in, in areas that have shelter, providing um, food and water and, and all the supplies needed. And so today's offering is going to be going towards um, relief agency, uh, for that relief agency that are helping in places like Queensland and all around the world as well, um, but especially here in Victoria. There And um, there's lots of things that ADRA does. Um, for example, they help with the homeless ministry in Queen Victoria markets that we participate in as well. And so please give knowing that it is going towards a very good cause. And of course, as always, if there are other um, areas that you would like to donate uh, to, you can mark in the envelopes that are in the hallway where you want um, your offerings to go, and um, we'll make sure that it goes to that allocated uh, budget. Now, while the baskets are being passed around, I also want to introduce um, a very special item we have today, which is that um, we've got a very special treat for us because Jazz and her mom, Anna, uh, will be sharing a special item with us uh, before the sermon. And, you know, it's such a treat to have, have musicians here, and so we're very, very glad that you could join us. Um, and I'm sure after the service today, you can get to know Jazz and Anna better. Um, but as they share this song with us, I just pray that... Um, we'll be able to reflect on the meaning of what they're sharing and hopefully through the music we'll be able to um, let some of the things that we're carrying from the week down and really focus on why we're here and focus on um, our ability to worship God today. So I just want to invite you up so you can set up as, as we um, finish off. Well, happy Sabbath, everybody. This is my first time at this church, and already I'm really enjoying myself here. What a blessing. Um, it's been quite a long week for me, and as I was reflecting what kind of song I wanted to share with you this morning, I kept coming back to the story, that, that old hymn, sorry, that um, talks about how Jesus is everything to us and he can um, be all that we need and I know in my week this week I really needed that. Um, I'm a disability support worker and there are lots of, um, there's a lot of um, love that you have to share with people with any job as a pastor, working as a nurse, as a teacher and um, yeah I just held on to that hope. So this morning we're going to sing for you the song um, Oh man, I'm having a blank. His eyes on the sparrow. And um, yeah, I'm going to sing it with my beautiful mum. So I hope that you're blessed by the message. Why should I feel discouraged? Should the shadows fall? Why should my heart feel lonely and lonely? The heaven and hope.
for that. That's one of my favorite songs. It's good to see you all again. Last weekend I was away because I was at the Mission to the Cities Symposium in New South Wales. Um, I was there from Thursday till Sunday night and I had the privilege of sharing about our church um, to the group there and also the incredible blessing of being inspired by the other presenters um, and hearing about what they're doing around the world um, in the various cities. For example, there was a pastor from Germany who um, hosts what's called this cultural lounge um, called Presence. And they basically read books or watch movies or have musicians and art. Um, and they afterwards, they talk about it. And there are people from all various backgrounds, from all various worldviews. And they're able to come, just come together and just spend that time together connecting with each other and dialoguing um, and sharing their stories. There was also um, a, veg a vegetarian cafe in Byron Bay called Mana Haven, um, and they offered this cafe um, where basically the, the staff make it a point to spend time with the people who come. And um, they were saying that because they have regular customers to come through, that oftentimes, you know, one of the regular customers will say, hey, Jody, have you had lunch yet? You know, and she'll say, oh, no, I haven't eaten yet. And they'll say, come sit with me. And then she'll just sit with them and have lunch with them. And um, if you go on Online, you'll see they have a lot of awards and, you know, the Google reviews, people are saying they're the friendliest staff you've ever met at a restaurant. Um, and so that's their ministry, just loving people who come to their cafe and just being a friend to people um, and just being there for any, someone who wants to have a conversation. And even though people um, come once or twice, they become friends on Facebook. And Jody was telling me that she's, she keeps in touch with all of them on Facebook, even after they move away to different parts of the world. And so there are amazing people doing amazing things around the world um, to, to show God's love. But, you know, on the train ride back, um, you know, after I did my presentation Saturday night and um, just really enjoyed it. And it was actually wonderful because one of the people I met um, at the conference um, were this couple, um, Pastor Cortez and, and his wife, Joanne, who I haven't seen in 12 years. They're from the U.S. I'm from the U.S. And actually, he was one of the reasons I got into ministry. Um, 12 years ago, when I was working for a church in New York City, um, he had asked me to speak for a youth rally, and I 
you know, agreed. And he was introducing me right before I was about to speak to like hundreds of young people. And he introduced me as Pastor Jinha. And I whispered to him, I'm not, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I'm an urban outreach coordinator. That was my title at the church. And he turned to me and he said, Jinha, do you preach? Do you do Bible studies? Do you lead worship? I'm like, yeah. And he was like, you're a pastor. And I remember that was the first time I thought to myself, oh, is, is that something that I am or could be? And Because before that, I was planning on pursuing my PhD in theology and being a professor. And so I, I, that was the beginning of me feeling the call that, that God gave. And, you know, um, to make the long story short, here I am as a pastor in Melbourne. And it was so wonderful to be able to meet him and his wife and say, Hey, I'm, I'm here partly because of you and from, from, um, from Avondale to the airport, which by the way, is a lovely train ride, beautiful view. I was, um, I was reflecting on, you know, all the ministries that were shared, the methodologies that were shared, the, um, the, um, various stories I heard and the people I met and, and I was also reflecting on, on our church and all the people that God has brought into our church. And, you know, in the presentation that I was sharing about, you know, the different things and the different ways people have come to, come to us. But at the end of the day, I was so convicted on that train ride back that at the end of the day, it's God who searches us. I was so convinced as I was thinking and praying about our church and and, you know, coming back into to the work as I was coming home. That the reason why any one of us is where we are, the reason why any one of us is here at this church or any church or any, any place on that journey with God is because God sought us out. It's because of God that we have even um, dared to, to think of connecting with the divine. And why am I so convinced? Why am I so convinced that it's God is the reason why each one of us is here? It, you know, I don't know any, all of your stories. Some of you are new here today. And so why am I so convinced that it was God who brought you? And the reason why I am so convinced is because that is the story of the Bible. That is the story of Christianity. Is the story of God in search of man. From the moment that the first human beings chose selfishness over love, the moment that they chose a life of blame and shame and guilt and destruction over life, God comes looking for them in the cool of the day in the garden. Not to scold, but to, but to give them a rescue plan. The moment that Jesus was born into the world, the story of Christmas is a story of a God in search of man, a God who's willing to come down and become a babe, to become a child, to be with us, and to put that rescue plan into action. And when Jesus comes back one day to end the suffering and the injustice and the evil forever, it's once again God who comes in search of man. So that's, that's the entire essence of Christianity. There's a quote that says, religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God seeking man, manifesting himself to him, drawing himself unto him. And that's written by um, a, a minister who used to be a physician. He was a doctor and then he became a pastor because he felt the call to share about God. And he ended up ministering at the Westminster Chapel in London for about 30 years. And, you know, for so long we have made religion, especially our experience with God, about us, about our pursuit for God, about us finding God, about our, you know, um, our choices and our moral behavior and our ethics. But really, Christianity is about God searching for us. It's about God looking for his children. Jesus told a story. It's found in Luke chapter 15, which is on page 840 of your white Bibles in front of you. So you can follow along with me in, 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 the, in the Bible. You can follow along the screen for those of you who are online as well. One of my favorite stories, it goes like this. The younger son told his father, there were, a, man, a father had, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. 
A few days later, this young son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked so good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by my side, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. This story is sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son. A parable is basically just a short story that, has an, uh, that illustrates a, a lesson or a point. And in this case, it's trying to illustrate the joy of finding the lost. Luke 15 is actually a trilogy. If you look um, kind of in the whole context of the chapter, Jesus actually tells three stories about the lost being found. He talks about a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one gets lost and, he, and the shepherd goes out looking for that one last sheep. And when he finds it, he puts it over his shoulder, he carries it home and he says, hey everyone, let's have a party and rejoice because I have found my lost sheep. And then he, he tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins because often in those days when women got married, they would be given a diary and, and it was important that they keep it and cherish it for emergencies or uh, a, a need to use it. And so this woman had 10 silver coins and somehow one gets lost and she sweeps the whole house looking for that one coin. And when she finds it, she again invites her neighbors and friends, says, hey, come rejoice with me because I found my last coin. And then Jesus tells a story about this father and his two sons. And this, and this story is often called the parable of the prodigal son because prodigal means extravagant or wasteful. And so this younger son goes and wastes all his inheritance. And so it's called the, the prodigal son. And it's become so well known, this story over the years, that in the English language, the phrase prodigal son means someone who has left home but then comes back. You've, you've probably heard that idea before, all the prodigal son coming, coming home. Why did this young man leave his house? Why did he leave his home in the first place? Maybe he didn't like the hard work of farming. You know, in Australia, we hear about the struggles of the farmer. Um, Naomi, actually, for, for Christmas, I think it is, gave Micah this beautiful book about the 12 months of the year and how the farmer works during those 12 months to, you know, bring about harvest. And every time I read it to Micah, I'm like, it is tough work being a farmer. There is so much that goes into raising the crop and raising the animals, etc. And so maybe this young man just, ah, was sick of the hard work. 
just didn't want to do it anymore. Just wanted to go have fun. Wanted to go do his own things and pursue happiness. Tired of working day in and day out. Perhaps he thought his father was too strict. Perhaps he didn't like all the, all the rules and all the um, regulations and the values that his father had over the household. And so the young man leaves. But you know what he quickly realizes? The pursuit of happiness, ironically, does not make you happy. Many people have tried it. There's a reason why successful people, there's a reason why famous people, there's a reason why popular people still experience depression, anxiety, and still commit suicide and still feel empty. Because when you pursue happiness for happiness sake, it becomes this elusive butterfly that never, you can never quite grasp. You can have moments of happiness. You can have moments where everything is great. But at the end of the day, when you're home and you're alone and it's just yourself, happiness is not what's going to give you meaning. Happiness is not what is going to give you that purpose in life and your sense of identity. And so this young man, when his money had run out, because money will never be enough. There's, it's never going to be enough, no matter how much you have, right? There's always more to be earned. There's always more things to buy. It's never going to be enough. And when this man runs out of money, he realizes all of a sudden that he's also run out of friends. How quickly they, they go away in our, when we are actually in need. And of course, unfortunate circumstance, there's a famine in the land, and you know, when the famine hits, it's every man for himself, right? All, all the friendships go out the window when there's a crisis sometimes. And he's so hungry and he's so desperate that as he's feeding the pigs, right? The only job he can find, he's actually thinking that this food looks good. I don't know about you, but I've been around pigs. We've taken the kids to like the farms, you know, Collingwood Children's Farm. And they smell really badly. So I don't care if there's like a fondue or like, you know, a trifle, which are some of my favorite things in front of the pig. Because there's a pig there, it smells nasty. <laughs> there's no way that I would ever want to eat something around a pig. But here he is wanting to eat what the pigs are eating because that's how desperately Hungry he is. And it's in that moment when he's hit rock bottom that he realizes, what am I doing? My father's servants get treated better than this. I should go home and I should beg my father for mercy and I'll ask him to take me as a servant. So with tattered clothes and blistered bare feet, he starts his long journey home, hoping and relying on his father's mercy. But this young man has no idea just how merciful his father is. Because even before he's hit the curve around to get home, his father is already looking for him. The story says that the father sees him from afar off. How did he know? Because the father, since the day his son had left, had been looking for him. Every day, going out as far as he could on the outskirts of the town, wondering if his son would come home that day. How many times had he run towards a wandering vagabond, thinking it was his son? How many times had he invited strangers into his home, giving them a meal, treating them with hospitality, hoping that somewhere out there his son was getting the same treatment from someone else. How many days had the father been standing there, searching the horizon for a dot, a figure, someone resembling his son coming towards him? The story doesn't say how many weeks or months or years had gone by, but what we do know is that finally when this broken young man comes a little dot on the horizon, the story says that the father runs to him. In that culture, adults don't run. Men didn't run. Men didn't show emotion and affection. It's not like today where we're, we're able to say I love you to each other. This was a culture and a generation and a time where 
you don't express emotion, where you don't, um, you know, show yourself to be vulnerable. But here comes the father running towards his son, embraces him. And, and, and the son is about to, you know, give his well-rehearsed speech about not being worthy, about being taken as a servant. But he doesn't, the father doesn't let him finish the sentence. The moment the, the young man says, I'm not worthy, the father says, quick, bring out the best robes. Bring out the sandals. And he doesn't do this to cover his shame so that, you know, as he's going home, people think, oh, he succeeded. No, he does this because he wants his son to know you are worthy. Not because of what you have done or not you haven't done, but because you're my son. He says, bring out the ring, put it on his finger. And as if that's not enough, he says, wait, take that fatted calf that we've been saving for the harvest and take him, slaughter him. We're going to have a banquet. Invite every single pe- person in town. We're going to have a celebration because my son is home. His prodigal son who wasted his entire inheritance comes home utter failure and his father throws him a party. Some would say that the father is prodigal. That his love is wasteful. That his love is extravagant. This prodigious, extravagant love of the Father. That doesn't say, I told you so. That doesn't ask the young son, where have you been? Or what have you done? But simply rejoices that he's home. But there's someone who's not happy at all. While this party is going on, The older brother comes home from working in the fields. And this older brother is not a happy man. He asks the servant, what is going on? Because he hears music and he can tell there's something happening. And the servant says, oh, your brother has come home. And so your father is, is throwing a party for him. Come, come inside. And he says, my brother's come home? Oh, so did he succeed? He must, have, he must have done something amazing to have this big party. And the servant says, actually, no. He's lost it all. He came home bare feet, blistered. He came home in, in rags. He, he was a mess. And now the brother is furious. You see, all those days that his brother was missing, he was fuming. Because for, for the younger son to get the father's inheritance, typically... The father passes away, and then the children get the inheritance. But this younger brother was so impatient to have his money that he basically went to his father and said, I want you to divide up your estate now and give it to me. So that means the father had to sell, divide and sell the younger brother's portion. See, see, for the older brother, that's a loss of profit. That's land that if, had, if it had been left alone until the father died, could have been used for harvest, more profit could have been made, more land could have been bought, Right? But because of this younger brother's selfishness, that part had to be sold. There's loss of profit here. The older brother is furious. Plus, he's left the work all to him. So he's had to take double the burden. He's had to take extra responsibility. It simply wasn't fair. Every day, while the father was out there looking for his son, the older brother was working in the fields, angry at him hating him. And so when he comes home and this party is for him, he refuses to go inside. So then out comes the father. For the second time that day, reaching out to a son in love and compassion. For the second time that day, running towards his son to embrace him and to bring him back inside. And the father says to him, all these, all that's left is yours. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Come and rejoice with me. But the older brother doesn't respond. The story actually ends there. You see, 
Jesus had actually told the story to a specific audience. We find out when we go to the beginning of Luke chapter 15 that there were tax collectors and notorious sinners listening to Jesus. They were surrounding Jesus. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, Jesus is telling this story to people who are the older brother, to the people who had no love. Instead, were so busy judging and condemning others that they failed to see the pride and the lack of love in their own hearts. They were in the house, but lost. They were in the house, but lost. And the Father is the God who searches for those who are lost in the world as well as those who are lost in the church, reaching out to us all, the guilty and the self-righteous, the ones who failed and the ones who failed to see. God seeks us all, wherever we may be, longing for us to be found back in the arms of mercy. So the question is, if God is searching for us, then why can't we find him sometimes? Why can't we hear him sometimes? It's possible that like the older son, we're with him every day, but we feel like we're slaving away and we don't really understand who our father is. It could be that he's with us every day and we talk to him but we don't actually experience what he has to offer. A woman came to a well to draw water and there was a Jewish man sitting there. And he asked her for a cup of water, which surprises her. And they have this conversation. And he says this to her. He says, if you knew, if you only knew the gift of God and what he has for you and who you are actually speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Jesus had come all the way to this particular spot in the country of Samaria, which was far for him to travel to. He had come all this way just to be with her. But she doesn't realize it. To her, he's just another thirsty vagabond asking for a handout. Jesus said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and gave you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Could it be? That God is in the person sitting on the side of the street with a cardboard sign and an empty cup. Could it be that when you serve someone, not just help them with a few coins, but actually serve them with the servant's heart of love, giving them respect and dignity, that when we serve someone, that God is there. In our service, in our love for others, God is always there because it is God who enables us to feel love and compassion in the first place. And God is there nowadays just to tap away on our phones. One of Jesus' closest disciples who talked with him face-to-face wrote this for those of us who can't see him face-to-face. He said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he goes on to say, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they're reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. 
He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, God searches for us through his word. Did you know that every time you open up the word and you read, that actually it's not us looking for God, it's, it, it actually opens the channel for God to look for us. This is what it says. It says the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He's the one to whom we are accountable. Every time we read God's word, every time we hear God's word, God comes to us. He comes into our hearts and he says, hey, let me peel away the layers of masks you've put on for others. Let me peel away the layers of scars that you've amassed over the years. Let me get through all those things and expose your true heart. Let me get to the true core of who you are. God searches for us. When he's speaking, when, when speaking to the Jewish leaders, Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. The word of God is not just empty words on a page. The words of God are how God comes to us, seeks us out, speaks to us and says, come to me, all you are burdened, right? All you are weary. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. God seeks us through his words. He also comes to us in our suffering. Recently, I blogged online, you might have read it, about um, this amazing woman named Kechi Okuchi. At the age of 16, she was on a plane that crashed, killing all but two. I think it was 109 people on the plane, 60 of whom were her classmates. And all but herself and one other person perished. She suffered third-degree burns on over 65% of her body. And she had to undergo over 100 surgeries, enduring excruciating pain and trauma. A few months into her treatment, things got really bad. She had maxed out on her pain medications. And she was in so much pain and, and she was itching everywhere. And on top of that, she could not sleep. So she was spending, she had gone days without sleeping. And she was desperate. And she just wanted to die. And it was at that moment that her grandmother called her on the phone. And she said, Ketchy, I need you to do something for me. She said, Ketchy, I want you to get out of the head any idea that God is this distant, abstract figure. And you're not sure if he really listens. You're not sure if he really exists. She said, get that idea out of your head and you talk to him like you do a father. You talk to him like you talk to your good father. He wants good things for you. He loves you. Talk to him the way you talk to your dad. And so for the first time in her life, you know, she'd grown up Christian, but for the first time she, she wasn't just talking to an abstract idea, but she, she poured out her heart like he was there. She poured out her heart believing he, he, he is a good dad, and she just told him everything that she was thinking and feeling. And next thing she knew, she had fallen asleep. She slept through the night without feeling any pain. And she got up in the morning and her mother said, oh, you look refreshed, you know, bright-eyed. And she said, ever since then, she said, my faith has kept me going. And ever since then, she knows that God is with her always. There's a promise in Isaiah that says, don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk to the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. You see, it's difficult to go through waters. I can't swim. So when I'm in water, for me, it's like panic every time, no matter how deep it is. Right? So it's not easy to go through the waters of difficulty. It is not easy to walk through fire. And so while God's saying you will not drown, you will not be consumed, he's not saying we will not face trouble. 
In fact, it's saying we will face trouble. We will go through hardship. We will suffer, but we will not be consumed. We will not be overcome. And God will be with us every step of the way. And he says, talk to me. I'm here. Talk to me. Believe that I'm with you. Believe I'm a good God. Pour out your heart to me. And he seeks us in our suffering. And he seeks us in the silence as well. There was a man named Elijah who was a man of faith. But you know what? Every single person who tries to have that relationship with God, we're going to go through difficulty. We're going to go through discouragement. And Elijah went through discouragement. He was depressed. He, he was feeling despair. And God comes to him and gives him food and rest. And he, he, and he says to him this. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Sometimes we want God to come to us with lightning flashes in the sky. But he comes to us in the silence. He comes to us in a gentle whisper. And that's why the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. We will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's army is here amongst us. The God of Israel is our fortress. You see, we are so distracted all the time. I don't know anyone anymore who's bored in the sense of all of us have our phones, right? You, you, you just step on a tram or a train and everybody is looking down on their phones. Right? You, if you're in queue... Everyone is looking on their phones. There's never a moment where we're just still and silent and alone with God because we're always on something. We never give God a chance to reach through the noises and the voices and all the things that we surround ourselves with and, and, and fill our minds. God says, be still. Put the phone down. Right? Be silent and just no, in that silence, in that stillness, that's when he can come and connect with you. Silence is not the absence of God. It's the voice that God sometimes uses to communicate to us. The way that a sun quietly rises. The way that the stars quietly twinkle. The way that two lovers can hold hands without a word. Silence is not the absence of God. It can actually be the intimacy of God reaching out to us, saying, in this silence, in this stillness, know that I am God and that I am with you always. If you can't find him, even then, perhaps he's covering your eyes for a reason. After Jesus' death and resurrection, two disciples were heading home to Emmaus. And they knew that Jesus had died. And they heard from these women that Jesus was alive. But who believes women in those days, right? And so they thought, we're heading home. We're giving up. And so they were just going home. And along comes a stranger and joins them on this journey home. And he talks to them. And it's kind of strange the things that this stranger is saying. But it isn't until they invite him home, right? They walked all the way home and they invited him in. And it's not until he takes bread and breaks it and gives it to them and they see the scars on his hands that they realize it's Jesus. Sometimes we journey with God and we don't realize who he is because our eyes have been covered and he wants us to realize that the journey is just as important as the revelation. Sometimes the experience of walking with God without recognizing him is part of the growth that he wants us to experience. 
Christianity is a story about a God who journeys with us, about a God who comes in search of mankind. Most religions ask us as human beings to make good choices, to be ethical, to be moral, in order to reach or to find the divine. But Christianity is about a God who comes to us at our worst, when we have hit rock bottom, when our hands are in the pig's feeding trough. God comes to us as a baby in a dirty, smelly manger to prove to us there is no place too dirty. There is no heart too sinful for God to be reborn in. God comes to us when we are the prodigal sons with nothing good to show or the prideful son with no love in our hearts. God seeks us out. And he says that he has come to seek and save the lost. Christianity is a story about a God who fiercely loves his children and is always looking for us. And is willing to go through any lengths to bring us back home. And it is my prayer that wherever you are on that journey, that you'll be able to believe that God is with you. That no matter what you do, he will always be with you. That he will always seek you out. And that he's never far. And I pray that as a result of this faith, we do get to experience and see the risen Savior. So that when God comes to take us home, we'll be able to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I want to invite Jazz back up here to sing for us. And as she sings, I pray that we would be able to experience the God who is with us right now. This is a song that most of you will probably know. Um, it's the song that Gina was just quoting, and I pray that it may be a prayer in your heart right now um, as we continue on with this week and as we see even more blessings from God unfold in our lives. This song is Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Change. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who seeks us. Now, Father, it's not about our efforts, and it's not about our achievements, and it's not about our goodness. It's such a relief to know that it's just about you, who love us with an amazing grace that pursues us till the day we die. That, Father, it's never too late to come home. And, Father, we just want to thank you that... Um, even though we sometimes get distracted in our journey, that you remind us what it's really all about. And I just pray that today we would experience that true rest in you, in knowing that we don't have to try so hard, that, Father, you already love us and you already think we're worthy to be saved. And, Father, I pray that in that assurance of salvation, we would then experience the joy, not only of coming home ourselves, but being partners in seeing others come home and I pray that as we go into the exchange and discuss um, this story and the story of Christianity that um, we would we'd be able to really realize what it is that you are inviting us to partner with and I pray for all those who are not here today or for those who are watching online that they too would experience your rest and that together as a church community we can truly um, rejoice together and, and work together to bring, um, to bring the lost and to see people really find their home and belonging and identity in you. I pray in your son's name. Amen.